0: All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Let's get into Acts, shall we? I'm just kidding. I'm gonna address what happened last week. (laughs) Although I would love to just look beyond it. Uh, I'm still getting better. Last week uh, was was pretty rough for me. Uh, As many of you know, I've been going through a variety of health issues for my feet. Then I had some chemical burns. I had some nerve damage. I had a bunch of issues with my stomach that happened as a result of a couple rounds of antibiotics. I'm on a third round of antibiotics now. And uh, the saga continues. Wednesday was the worst I've had it yet. Sun- Sunday was pretty bad. I went to the ER that day. Spent um, all the way up until halftime in the in the ER. And then and then I saw man, what a game! That was awesome. That was so fun. But uh, then Wednesday got really bad, and then since then every day has been a little bit better. So I want to take a moment to just thank all of you for your prayers. I know a lot of you have been praying for me, and uh, many of you have let me know that a lot of people have offered to help in different ways. And excuse me, really at this point, it's just uh, take the medicines that they gave me and finish that course and see uh, see how that all goes. So there's really nothing more else to do at this point other than pray and let let the body that God designed to do its thing, and hopefully I'll be back normal soon. But I'm still going to be taking it a little bit easy uh, up here by using the chair, and that'll help a little bit, but I think I'll be able to make it through. I also want to say thank you to Andrew last week for stepping in. Can we just give him a hand real quick? Man. It was about 10 minutes before the first service when I, I. Saturday was fantastic, and I I went and coached a basketball game, and all day felt great. And I thought, man, I'm going to have no problem tomorrow. And then Sunday morning, 8:50, service starts at 9. I started to feel the symptoms hit, and I handed him my notes and said, "Be on the front row and be ready." And he was, and. <laughs> And uh, I knew I just had to get to a certain point in that message where all the personal stuff was was done, and then he could take on the rest of it, which we had been talking about for months, thankfully. So he didn't miss a beat and got it all taken care of. I, I so appreciate the team that we have here. And then, you know, other, everybody else jumped in too. You know, John was running back and forth, checking on me, and, and I mean, you almost would have thought he's my nurse at one point, just really looking after me, taking care of me. So I'm so I'm so thankful for the team that we have here. It is great. This week, uh, preparing for this message was, um, it hit a little closer to home, I guess, because we're gonna talk about when things go wrong in your life and when stuff doesn't go as expected and, and when you, we you feel like you've got things going pretty well and then all of a sudden this just curveball hits you out of nowhere. And I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that in your life, but things happen and we don't always understand why, we don't always understand what's happening, but we still have to figure out how to how to deal with that, what we're supposed to do with that. And so um, this week's message is gonna talk about that a little bit. Sometimes I feel like uh, when I go through an issue like what I've been going through. and <clears throat> the other thing is I have a very dry mouth now, so if you see me take a sip of water, that's, that's why. Um, sometimes you can get on this sort of guilt privilege roller coaster where you feel like, oh, this is terrible. I just want this to be over with. I hate this, and I don't like this anymore. And then you feel like, but I've got it so much better than so many other people, you know? And I look at other situations around the world, and of course, we're praying for everybody in Turkey, for instance, right now, and tragic things happening there. And we've been praying a lot for them, and we've got people here, Um, At the church, by the way, if you didn't know this, we have um, some people from First Free who are on the ground there who are hosting people in their homes and bringing food and and water and blankets to people. And you can actually help and be a part of that, supporting that if you want to. You go to oasisforrefugees.org and they will... um, They will give all of that money through to our own people who are there on the ground from this church who are ministering there. So that's Oasis, the number four, refugees.org. And you can go there and support them. But we're praying for them. We're thinking about them. And, you know, you just, whatever you're dealing with in life, sometimes you can feel like, well, I mean, it's nothing compared to them. And so then I feel guilty for even feeling bad about, you know, whatever little issue I have going on in life. The other direction we can take difficulties in our life, is we start to feel really bad for ourselves, and we sort of view everything through a victim lens. And so now I am the victim of what's happened to me, and it could be illness, it could be injury, it could be something someone did to you, it could be a traumatic experience, it could be all kinds of things. And we start to sort of filter our our life through this lens of, oh, I'm this victim, and terrible things have happened to me. And, And that shows up in our lives in a few different ways. And I understand that. Um, And it's hard to not do that. But what I want to do today is look at a couple instances in God's word where it sort of gives us a bigger picture of what is going on. What is God doing when we get hit with that unexpected curveball, that tragedy that strikes in our life and we're not exactly sure what to do with it. So we'll see a couple examples of that today because your struggle may just be God's opportunity to impact other people around you in a way that you can't even Imagine, and we're gonna see that today. Before we do, would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray before we dive into God's word. Father, we thank you for this book of Acts passed down to us for the last couple thousand years and yet still just as relevant today as ever. Lord, I pray that you would give me the the energy and the strength to deliver the message that you have for us today, the, the message that's been convicting me this week, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict all of us, Lord, Um, to examine our lives and and how we respond to the challenges of life in a way that honors you and praises you and points other people to you, God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter nine is where you wanna be today. We're gonna start in verse 32. And we're gonna look at two stories where unexpected things happened. And we wanna see what was God doing through those stories. So Acts chapter nine, verse 32, Luke is writing. He says this. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Leda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Leda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. Amazing story. Amazing miracle, uh, even more amazing to me because this entire week as I've been studying this passage, I have simultaneously been praying, Lord, instantly heal me, please. I would love for that to just happen, just be wiped out. Hasn't happened yet. But here, Aeneas gets to experience it, uh, which, is, which is fantastic for him. I mean, I want you to think about the fact that Aeneas wasn't always paralyzed. This wasn't something he was born with. This had just gone on for the last eight years. Now, eight years is a long time, but he knew what life was like before that. He had a normal life. He grew up as a normal kid. He, he you know, quite possibly got married, had a couple kids maybe. We don't know exactly what this guy's story was. But he had some kind of a, a normal life. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this accident happened. Maybe he fell off a building or got run over by a, a donkey or had some kind of illness or whatever it was. Left him paralyzed and so he, he couldn't move around. Anywhere incredibly difficult, especially at this time period, they didn't have the kind of resources we have today to be able to deal with that and give him a normal life. Do you think that he was devastated? Do you think that he struggled with this? That his family struggled with this? Why did this happen? How could this happen? What is my life going to look like now? You know, after we go through a tragic experience, there are stages of of grief that we go through and we get angry and, and we can get depressed and, and bitter and all of these things. And eventually we come to some version of acceptance, but even that acceptance often has strings attached to it where it's like, yeah, I accept the fact that my life is like this now, but I'm still not happy about it. And maybe we become very bitter about that experience. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we can kind of carry this victim mindset through life where everything gets filtered through that lens of I'm a victim. This is what's happening to me. And so now everything around me. I see through that perspective of, the, of whatever I experienced in the past and we end up living in the past. Sometimes that shows up as anxiety in our life where now we're constantly worried that something like that could happen again. We're constantly worried, maybe even something worse could happen again. And so our lives become ruled by anxiety because of what happened to us in the past. Sometimes it's depression and we just become so sad all the time, full of sadness. Because of the state that we're in, because of what we've been through, because of how we feel now, whatever it is, we can feel very lonely, very depressed, or like we're worthless or guilty now because of the condition we have or the experience that we've gone through. There's a broad spectrum of things that can lead to this. We can even feel like maybe life isn't worth living anymore because of the tragedy that I've gone through. It can also lead to us being very easily triggered. So something in our, our past, some, some tragedy, some issue that we've dealt with, whether it's an illness or, or uh, uh, some kind of injury or something that someone has done to us, maybe a bad relationship or something at work or at school, uh, abuse case, whatever it is, those types of things can lead us to a point where we're so easily triggered that anytime someone mentions something even remotely related to it, it just it, it triggers us in our minds almost like a PTSD response or, or is a PTSD kind of response. And it leads us to react in some unhealthy ways and then cause more damage. And so it's a cycle. All of these things create a cycle. that just makes life worse and worse for us. As we wallow in whatever happened in our past. This is the danger that all of us have of falling into when we experience something difficult, some struggle, some challenge that comes up in our life. And I don't know for sure, but I'll bet aeneas struggled with one or more of these things at least for a while. And he didn't have much relief at all. No wheelchairs. There weren't a lot of jobs you could do if your legs didn't work. You know, maybe somebody could bring him something. He could do stuff with his hands, but there wasn't a lot of moving around for him. If he wanted to get around, people had to come pick him up and take him somewhere. It's not a lot that he could do. It just severely limited you. It means you can't provide for your family. It means you can't live a normal life back then. So a devastating experience for him and difficult for his family around him. And the Bible tells us this went on for eight years. Eight years until one day Peter showed up. And when Peter showed up, I think what we're getting is a condensed version. I don't think Peter showed up and, and all of a sudden just kind of walked into the room and said, get up. I think that he had a conversation with him, and they talked for a little while. And at the end of that conversation, Peter knew Aeneas a little bit better, and he knew his faith in Jesus. And so he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Remember, if you go back to, to so many times when there's healing that takes place, especially through Jesus, it always has to do with faith in Jesus. It's your faith, Jesus says over and over. That's why you're healed. And so Aeneas, I believe, had faith in Jesus. And that's why Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Just imagine, try to picture it, the joy in this man's eyes. When he got up for the first time in eight years, it's not like he had never walked around or jumped or ran before. He knew what that was like. He had been missing it for eight years and suddenly he could do it again. He never thought this day would happen. He thought it was going to be like this for the rest of his life. And in an instant, everything was changed. And if he was married, his wife is overjoyed. And if he's got kids. His kids are so happy. And the community is so happy for him. And it's wonderful what happens to Aeneas. but that's not the best part of the story. Because the best part of the story is what happens next in verse 35. Then the whole population of Leda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they what? They turned to the Lord. That's the coolest part of this. And I want you to see in the story of Aeneas a pattern that we're going to see again today. And the pattern is something that you can memorize, something that you need to recognize in your own life because it can give you context and perspective on the difficulties that you face. And that pattern is this. Normal life, upended, God steps in, benefits others. Normal life, upended, and God steps in, and it benefits others. Aeneas had no idea how God was going to use his tragedy to reach hundreds, maybe thousands of people to be a part of his kingdom and his family moving forward. There's no way for those eight years that Aeneas had any clue that there was that kind of purpose in this. It's not like he was born paralyzed, he had this normal life, and then it got ended in, in not ended in a, a life kind of way, but the normal part of it got ended for him. And suddenly everything was different for him. And back then, especially so difficult. And he spent eight years like that, having no idea that there was a purpose for the pain that he was experiencing. His life got upended. You know what upended means, right? It's when everything gets turned upside down. It's when our three-year-old walks into a room, sees a tub full of toys and thinks, what would it look like if we just tipped this over? And then toys are everywhere all over the floor. And then my wife walks in and says, I literally cleaned that up 30 minutes ago. It's chaos. It's a mess. When your life gets upended, it feels like that. Like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And you're caught in the moment and you're full of anxiety and anger and bitterness and frustration and sadness over whatever it is that you're going through. And Aeneas had to feel that. He had no idea what was coming for him. After eight years, God steps in. Using Peter as a conduit to bring healing into this man's life. And Peter makes it very clear. It's Jesus Christ that's healing you. It's not Peter's power. It's God's power that's changing this. And as wonderful as that that is for Aeneas, that's not the best part of it. Because the best part of it is all of the other people who knew Aeneas' story. They knew because they had seen him around. They've seen his family. They've seen him being carried around different places. These communities, they all knew each other. They knew he wasn't faking it. They knew this didn't happen a week ago that he was paralyzed and he just sort of made this all up to make some money so this faith healer could come through. That's not what's going on here. You don't fake this for eight years and now they see him up and walking around and they realize there's something to this and they turn to Jesus and that's the best part because physical healing is great but it's actually temporary. It's just for this lifetime but spiritual healing, that's eternal. All of the many lives, the souls, the people whose names we don't know who came to Jesus and believed because of this story, because of this struggle, because of the suffering that Aeneas went through, the pain that Aeneas experienced. Eight years of it. It all had a purpose. That's the first story. It doesn't end there. Because while Peter is there, he gets some visitors. They're coming from a nearby city in Joppa, off on the Mediterranean coast. He's partway there now between Jerusalem, and then you get to Leda, and then you get to Joppa. And so some visitors from Joppa come, and let's pick up the story in Acts 9.36 and see what happens in this next story. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Now, I remember reading this when I was a kid and thinking, Dorcas. That one didn't stick. Apologies if anyone's named that here. But that one didn't really stick. I was told by someone after the the, uh, first service that Dorcas actually means gazelle, which is a a beautiful imagery, as does Tabitha. And so it's two different words for the same thing for gazelle. So Tabitha, uh, Dorcas, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Now I feel bad. She's a sweet woman. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread throughout the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Let's take a minute to get to know Tabitha a little bit here. She's a sweet and kind woman. She's always helping other people. She kind of makes me think of that that grandmotherly figure, you know, you probably have someone that you know who just every time you see them, they're such a warm person that you just love giving them a hug and hearing what they have to say. They always have kind words to say and and or, or they they send you nice cards, they they do different things to help in different ways and you know, probably we can all think of people in our church here who would mention the same names like, "Oh yeah, they're they're that kind of person." Just sweet, warm, wonderful, welcoming And this is Tabitha. She's a wonderful person, always helping people. She's not spending her time thinking about whatever's happened in the past for her. She's spending her time thinking, how can I help other people? How can I be a blessing to other people? She helps the poor. She's kind. She makes clothes for people, coats and different sorts of garments for them. But then she becomes sick and she dies. Notice that the text doesn't just say she suddenly died. She became sick and she died, which means that probably she had some deathly illness that caused her to suffer for a bit. There was pain involved in that. It's something that she had to endure while the believers are there loving on her and caring for her and hoping that she'll recover and praying for her. And then all of a sudden it takes her life. The believers after she dies prepare her body for burial and then they find out that peter is nearby in lidah this is very interesting the sequence of events here and so they send for him to come immediately why did they do that because they had incredible faith they had amazing faith Even though she had already passed, it's not like, oh, she's sick. She's near death. Let's get Peter here quickly. It's like, no, she's died. They've washed the body. They've got it ready for burial. She's in the upper. The body's in the upper room there. But let's go ahead and get Peter here as quickly as possible before we do the burial. Because they believe that through God, anything is possible. Something could happen here. And Peter shows up. They lead him to that upper room where the body was placed. He walks in there and just picture it. All these ladies who are in there with all the garments that... Tabitha had made for them, walking up to Peter one by one. And can you do you see that? Look how beautiful this is. Look at the, the craftsmanship in this. She made this for me. This is what keeps me warm in the winters. And look at this. She made this for me and she made this for me. And why she was such a wonderful woman. Why did she have to die? And they're crying. And Peter asks them all out of the room and he kneels down beside the body. And as he's praying I don't know what exactly he prayed, but I'm assuming that at some point he got some kind of confirmation that his prayer was gonna be answered because he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, get up. And she did. And it's amazing. She opened her eyes. She sat up. Peter gives gives her his hand, helps her up. He walks her outside, presents her to everyone else alive. And everyone is absolutely thrilled. Maybe not Tabitha. I don't know. mean, you think about it, the absent from the body is present with the Lord. Tabitha experienced whatever length of time she was passed away. And then at some point, maybe she was told, oh, you're going back. Do I have to? Really? But everyone around her is thrilled. They're so excited to see her again. They're overjoyed. She's alive. Who knows you know, what exactly miracle just happened? This is amazing. We're so ecstatic about it, but that's not even the best part. Because the best part is in verse 42, which says the news spread throughout the whole town and many believed in the Lord. And so we get again, the same pattern happening of you've got this normal life, a wonderful life that Tabitha had, and then it's upended and then God steps in and it benefits others. Tabitha has this great life. She was loved by all these people. And then she suffers and dies. Her life is upended and the people around her, their life is upended. And then God steps in through Peter and then it ends up benefiting all these other people. Because her struggle was God's opportunity to do something big in the world. It's hard to see that in the moment. But that's what was going on. It reminds me of what Jesus' brother James said told us in the book of James, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity to be miserable. Is that not what he said? Hold on. Consider an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come your way, it's an opportunity for joy. When troubles come my way, my first instinct is not to think I'm going to be happy about this. This is a wonderful thing. Unless I'm being sarcastic. Right. That's not where we usually Go, but James says, when trouble is coming your way, it's an opportunity for great joy. Now, from the life of Aeneas and the life of Tabitha, we see that that joy can be because we realize it's part of a bigger picture of what God is doing, a bigger story that's gonna not only be good for us, but benefit other people. James specifically here in James 1 is talking about the benefit being that it grows our faith. And so when you face a, a trouble, a struggle, what we need to learn to do, train ourselves to do is to stop and say, thank you, Lord, for this difficult thing that I never saw coming because I know it's going to help me grow my faith. That's what James says. But then you look at this pattern of how God works throughout the Bible and throughout history, and you see that God takes these struggles that we have, and he uses them not only to grow our faith, but to benefit countless other people. That's the bigger picture. That's the bigger story that he is working on. Paul gives us an example in Romans chapter 8. He says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God causes everything to work out for good for those who love God. There's good that comes from the struggle. And we don't always understand that. It's hard to believe sometimes in the moment, but we need to be reminded of that. There's good that comes from our struggles. You know, what concerns me a lot today is how in our culture and in our country and and increasingly in different younger generations, we, we have no idea how to deal with struggle in a healthy way. And we don't necessarily view struggle as a good thing. Like, this is going to develop me. This is going to grow me. This is going to build my character. This is going to help me be a better person. Whether you're a person of faith or not, struggle can be a really good thing for us. And yet we live in a society where increasingly it seems like parents are trying to protect their kids from any form of struggle whatsoever. It's like, I'm going to do everything for you so that you don't have to struggle. In my house, I am the toy fixer guy. And so there's a cubby in our house where kids, when something breaks, if it fits, can put it in that cubby, and one to three months later, it will be fixed. (laughs) I'm just being honest. You never know how long it's going to be. At some point, you'll have forgotten it was there, and it'll be like a new toy. So it's double blessing. This is fixed, and I forgot that I had it. Awesome. There was a video that I watched this last week of a grandfather talking about how he raised his son. And it really made me think. Because he said, one day his boy brought him a toy that had broken. And he looked at the toy and he realized this is something that his son could probably fix on his own if he really tried hard enough. But his son brought him the toy and he said, dad, it's broken. And the, and the dad said, I'm really sorry about that, son. I'll throw it away for you. And he took it over and he was about to drop it in the trash. when the boy said, whoa, whoa. Oh. Maybe, maybe we could fix it. And he goes, gee, I don't know, son. I mean, you you could try. And he gives it back to him. And the boy goes off for a couple hours and he tinkers with the toy and he fiddles around with it. And eventually he manages to get it working. And he comes back a couple hours later to his dad. Look, dad, I, I did it. I got it. I fixed my toy. Isn't this amazing? The dad praised his son. Wow, that's wonderful. Good job, boy. I didn't think you could do it, but you pulled it off. Way to go, son. He said, that's how I train my kids to see these difficulties, these struggles as opportunities for them to grow and and do better. Boy, we we don't do a very good job of that sometimes. We live in a society where I think increasingly in some cases, our teachers and professors are are teaching different things to our young people uh, as if the world kind of owes them a living. I saw another video this last week of a a man probably in his mid-20s just whining about the fact that he had to work to be able to afford enough money to pay for an apartment, some food and an Xbox. And why isn't society just providing this for him? And it's like, look, man, the great philosopher Wesley once said, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. And there's some reality to that. That life is about struggle. It's about pain. Jesus himself said in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. It's not going to be an easy life. That's not what we're promised. There will be struggles. There will be trials. There will be sorrows. But then he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. If you have faith in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you know the ending, you know this is where this is all going, you know there's a big picture to the story that you're going through, and so the tragedy, the trial, the difficulty, the illness, the injury, the the poor treatment that you've received, all of that is not without purpose, and it will be brought about for good to those who love God. And God will use it to grow your faith, and he will use it to benefit others. And keeping that big picture in mind gives us so much hope. Through the darkest of days. The question for us is not whether or not we will face these struggles. The question is, how will we face these struggles? Will we see ourselves through this lens of victimhood, of all this is happening to me? Or will we see ourselves as part of God's larger story? And what is God trying to do in us? And what is God trying to do through us? You know, there was this man in the Old Testament named Jonah. And I don't think that he initially saw the swallowing of a fish as a great opportunity for joy in his life. And yet look what happened. God used that fish to turn him around physically and spiritually and bring him to Nineveh where what happened? The whole city of Nineveh repents and turns to God. God, used struggle and tragedy in Jonah's life to bring about incredible things for other people. You know, from Jonah's perspective, Mary getting pregnant was the worst thing that had ever happened to him. His whole life was upended. Their marriage was upended. And Joseph could not have imagined the good that would come from that unexpected struggle in his life. And the turmoil that he faced as he wrestled with what to do about it. And whether to to divorce her publicly and make a show of this so that his reputation would be saved. Or whether to do it quietly where there would be some risk to him. And as he wrestled through that, he had no idea this struggle is going to bring good to so many people. And yet we know how that turned out. So here's my question for you. What's in your story? Do you see yourself in that narrative journey? The normal life that's upended and God steps in and it benefits others. And maybe you're in that upended part right now. Maybe you feel like life is in chaos and things are falling apart and you're just wondering how you're gonna hang on. And you're struggling with the bitterness and the depression and the anxiety that comes from that. And you need to take a step back and ask yourself, what might God be doing through this story? And If I just hang on and see it through, how is this going to end up benefiting others? How am I going to see God step in? Maybe you've seen God step in in some big ways in your life recently. Maybe you've got some stories that you can tell. Like Aeneas, like Tabitha, that you can share with people and say, look what God did in my life. How cool is this? And that benefits others. If you're just cruising through life in that first stage and you feel like life is normal right now, but you're not really benefiting others, watch out. Because it really does seem like God's pattern is to allow you to face or to send struggles into your life. So that you can learn from that and end up benefiting other people. We're not sent here to just live for ourselves. We are here so that we can be God's stewards of grace in this world. The Bible says. And so we are supposed to be his messengers of grace throughout the world and be serving and benefiting and helping other people. And if all we're ever doing is living for ourselves, get ready for the upending because it's coming at some point. God wants to send you a message to say, I have given you a purpose on this earth. And even in your pain and even in your difficulties, there is purpose Behind this, What is he going to do with it? What is he going to do through you? And you may have to endure it for a long time. You may have to endure it for eight years. You may have to endure it for longer. You may never see relief on this earth. And yet God will grow your faith through it if you're willing. And he will use you to benefit others. And that will be a tremendous blessing to you as well. I wanna to close today By bringing us back to what Andrew talked about last week. Because going through difficult times in life is so much better when you have a community around you. When you have people around you that love you and care for you. And I have felt that the last few weeks. As I've gone through a series of struggles in different ways. And I have seen person after person step up and be there for me. And be willing to help me. And the biggest thing right now is just praying for me. And that is awesome. And all of us need that. All of us need that community. We need to be united as a a people for each other. And one of the ways we are trying to enhance that this year and bring that back in a big way after the pandemic is through this focus on back together, what we're calling back together, our focus for the next year here. And so I just wanna remind you of that because you can go to efree.org slash back together. You can see a list of all the things we're doing, some that we've already implemented, some that are coming in the future. There's the, the Bible reading plan. We're gonna read through the New Testament this year. We started in Matthew, Matthew 1 through 5. You can go to efree.org slash back together and get that Bible reading plan. You can subscribe to the podcast through all the services, whether you like Spotify or iTunes or whatever it is, subscribe to the daily podcast. It's different than most podcasts, it's less than five minutes but it'll walk you through a portion of that Bible reading for the day and then a time of meditation on that scripture. So I encourage you to do that. We'll have lots of different voices participating in that this year. We're sending out prayer prompts through emails. If you're signed up for senior pastor updates, all of these things are designed so that we're united in different ways. We're praying for each other, praying for what's going on in our church, what's going on in the world. And when you get that prayer prompt email, know that that day you are praying with probably hundreds of people that goes out to several hundred people, hundreds of people that day praying for the same thing. We've had dozens of people sign up for dinner together already. I think the, the total will probably be over 100 people or more that, that will be participating at this point. So go there and sign up now because we're going to be ready to start you know, arranging you know, invitations of who goes where soon at efree.org slash backtogether to get to know each other. These are ways that we can be united together, find community together, enhance our conversations with each other so that when the storms hit, we not only have a, a close walk with Jesus to prepare us for it, but we have the community around us that helps us get through it. And I will tell you, it makes all the difference in the world. Being united in Christian community is the greatest, sweetest thing. We cannot take it for granted. We have to treasure it. We have to value it. Let's make sure we do that this year. I wanna ask you all if you would bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you first and foremost for uh, helping me to get through this morning, Lord. And uh, with all the the nausea and the uneasiness that I've been feeling lately, Lord, um, it really is a blessing to be able to stand up here and communicate your word and to preach it to myself and be convicted by it. Lord, I pray that for those who are here in this room right now or watching online right now, God, that you would convict all of us of where we need to see ourselves as part of this greater story that you are weaving that is not really all about us. And certainly what happens to us matters to us. And we feel it and we feel the suffering. We feel the pain just like Aeneas did, just like Tabitha did. But God, I, I really pray that you would help us to reframe our perspective so that we don't get caught in that trap. Of feeling like we're a victim all the time, but instead recognizing that you have overcome the world, whatever the issue is that we're struggling with, you have overcome it. And so we can have hope in you and then look for those opportunities where you're going to help us be a blessing and a benefit to other people, even because of the struggles that we have. God, I imagine there are some people who are who are listening and watching this here in the room who have some past struggles that you've delivered them from and they've stopped sharing about that with others. And maybe it's time that they take some steps to make sure they're letting people know the difference you've made in their lives so that we can be like Aeneas, We can be like Tabitha. We can go out there and we can share, Look what look what Jesus did for me. What an amazing thing to have this hope that we have in you, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to to share it with others. Help us not to get distracted by all the other things that that take up our attention, God. Help us to look toward you. We praise you for everything you've done in our life, Jesus. We praise you now with with our singing together. In your name we pray.